Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Pay. He's Chris Danziel. Chris, it's a little fitting that yesterday was President's Day because we need a state of the state of the Nova Nation right now because I don't know, man. I remember last time we were on the show, it feels like forever ago, but it was only last week and we were like, a lot of what's going to happen on Wednesday will determine how we feel going into Saturday. And I was skeptical going into Saturday, but then you look at the beatdown and just the great all-around performance that Nova had against Marquette, and you're sitting there thinking, wow, this team is legit. The rust is put it behind them. Everyone did great. Jerry's got his shot back. He's even stroking it from deep. We're going to go into Omaha and potentially bulldoze these Jays. Unfortunately, the opposite happened. <laughs> it was kind of false hope. And it wasn't exactly the prettiest performance on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday was was something. I said that they were going to win, and that is a uh, horrific prediction. They they weren't even that competitive outside of maybe first five to ten minutes of the game, and then after that, it was just a snowball effect. But yeah, Eugene, after that Marquette game, I was like, all right, everyone's good. It was the perfect get-right game, and... After Saturday, I think that Marquette games is more about Marquette than it does about Villanova. But, you know, Jerry gets 27. You're like, all right, he's back. The whole starting five after a pitiful performance against St. John's the week before, you're like, all right, everyone's back. Everyone's got their shot back. You're going to go in the crate and be fine. And the exact opposite happened. Man, what is this conference right now? Like Creighton <laughs> can't beat the mediocre teams at the bottom half of the conference and during the midweek. And then they come out against Villanova and they look like world beaters. Meanwhile, Villanova beats up on Marquette, but then they go up against Creighton and they don't even look competitive. Then they go up against St. John's and they look really bad. I don't know what to make of it right now. Like, obviously, with the very limited non-con play this year, it's kind of hard to get more of a gauge than you would in past years. But now it's like, are the bad teams that bad or are they better than what we think they are? Or the good teams just not that good? I, I don't know. It's, it's very hard to get a grasp of. Yeah, exactly that. Just because of the limited non-con games, and it was also early in the year, and I feel like everyone was just kind of getting thrown into the basketball season, readjusting to life after COVID put everything to a standstill. So I feel like even those games back then, it's not exactly the same now. So we're kind of limited to just kind of putting everything and projecting and hypothesizing how good the Big East is. And Chris... We were kind of saying it last week or even throughout the show in recent weeks. Crane's great, 
but Five. when they're losing to Butler and Providence and Georgetown, it's like, is this team for real? And now we go into Omaha, lose, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to – I don't think it's really going to change my perspective of Creighton, but it might have changed my perspective a little bit on Villanova. Is Villanova for real? Yeah, I, I think it's a valid question to ask now. And, you know, we usually – bang the drum for this team week in and week out. And we're usually relatively positive, at least compared to our early days on this show, Eugene. But in the back of our minds, if we're being honest, we were always kind of like, well, the non-con schedule is not the best right now. Or, you know, we really haven't had a really big game to kind of see what this team is like. And we kind of joked about it with the whole Gonzaga thing. It's like, haha, like, you know, we don't want to get exposed on national TV or whatever, all that stuff. But now you're, you're starting to think it's like, oh, maybe, maybe they kind of, had a point <laughs> i don't know what to think of this right now now look it is february and we say this every year it's really february too. yeah it's it, villanova always goes through one of these quote-unquote swoons where there's a random week in february where they have a bad stretch they'll lose two of three or they'll lose like to st john's on a wednesday night like it's just awful and you feel like oh wow is this team for real and then they go out and they beat everybody else and then you're fine until they play a real team again and then they might getting a little bit of a scrap and it's like, all right, is they, are they for real? It's the same mental gymnastics we do every single February. So for now, I am not going to proclaim from the hilltop and be like, Villanova is fraudulent. However, after Saturday, I'm just a little concerned. That's all. Yeah. And going off of that, in the earlier days of the show, Chris, we were kind of new at this. I remember we would freak out, even if it was like, oh, we barely beat DePaul. Why are we getting into a slugfest with the Paul? That shouldn't be happening. Yeah. And shout out to Brendan Riley. I think he kind of opened our eyes a little bit. And it's like, you always got to think bigger picture. Even though mm-hmm. February hasn't been exactly the greatest months for Villanova, when it comes to March or later down the line, they prove you wrong. Or they prove that, oh, it was just a little temporary slump, little swoon, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Just looking back over the years, you look at the 2018 National Championship year, they lost twice in one week to St. John's and Providence, and then they lost again to Creighton in overtime in the month of February. Mm-hmm. Follow that up with 2019, the Phil Booth, Eric Pascal senior year. It was in probably an even worse February than what we're experiencing oh, now. That was or, probably the worst month we've experienced oh, in, yeah, in a long, in like long the time. Last, yeah, in the last 10 years, for sure. Mm-hmm. You, you were looking at five losses in one month between February 9 and March 9. You had four losses in the month of February, there was a stretch where Nova lost three in a row to St. John's, Georgetown, and Xavier. And then what happened? They went back and then they won the Big East tournament like it was no problem. And then we were like, oh, okay. I yeah, guess, we're, I guess fine. we're fine. Yeah, second weekend possibility, maybe. Who knows? Like That type of thing. And then you look back here, Villanova looked great before going on the COVID pause. They had that huge marquee win against Texas. Yeah, they dropped one against Virginia Tech, but the early wins against Arizona State looked pretty nice. Boston College was a little hairy, but they pulled it out. And then Nova went on that nice winning streak. They go on pause. They come back, get into an ugly one with Seton Hall, and all of a sudden you're like, oh boy, we got maybe right. we got bailed out a little bit. <laughs> a Big game Jermaine saved us, whatever it was. And then they're going against Providence. You're like, oh, okay, everything everything was fine. Everything was fine. And yeah. then in the rematch against Seton Hall, they were pretty much in control the whole time. I know it was an eight-point margin, but it didn't feel like that. Then they go into St. John's, and then, <laughs> wow. Everything broke down. Yeah. yeah, everything broke down. 
And then they correct themselves with wins over Georgetown and a dominant performance against Marquette, only to lose against the Creighton. And now, Chris, here we are again. Just when things are looking good again, <laughs> it, it falls apart. Yeah, it, it really did. I, I don't want to be that guy, but my, I think I am. I, I don't want this that St. John's game to be the like line of demarcation from good Villanova to bad Villanova. Like, I hate that, like, I just have this feeling that, like, we're going to be sitting here in margin and we're going to be like, well, that game against St. John's really exposed this. It exposed the offense. It kind of broke Colin and it kind of broke JRE. And, you know, it, the blueprint has been laid out and now Villanova's screwed. And I, I really don't want to be saying that. I don't. But, you know, it, they did dominate Marquette. Yeah. Like I said, that says more. About, I think that says more about Marquette than Villanova. Marquette's shot. They've given up on Wojo. He's gone. He's good as gone. And, you know, maybe they go on a late March run and or early March run in the tournament and, you know, save the coach, coach's job, whatever. And they could prove me wrong. So be it. But they look absolutely shot. So I would expect Villanova to go out there and dominate. And I'm glad they did. Obviously, the alternatives, they go out there and they lose. And then we're really freaking out. But, that that St. John's game, <laughs> I can't shake it. I'm like, it just feels it just feels like they it, something broke when during that game, something happened. I don't know what. I, I I don't know if Creighton studied that tape and they're like, oh, there we go, found the magical the magic bullet there, and and now we know how to beat this team. And I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Like, how do you, how do you explain? I mean, sure, I'm sure this happens every year. Maybe we're just more privy to it this year because it's just conference. But Creighton looked awful for the past month and a half and now all of a sudden they come out against Villanova and they look like gangbusters like what will the real Creighton please stand up is this the real Creighton or is that not the real Creighton I don't know so like I that's why I'm more concerned about Villanova as well it's like are we losing to a Creighton team that really isn't that good I, I have no idea no idea that's the thing I don't entirely want to push the panic button and I've seen some people are starting to hit that just kind of like wait maybe this team isn't as good as we thought or maybe this team isn't the world beater as we assumed they'd be just because they had everybody back. However, Saturday's loss, I think, did reveal some weaknesses that we really need to address. And the first one, this is obviously not going to be a quick fix, but I cannot believe, I guess we underestimated how much of an impact one man in Sadiq Bay had. And yeah, mm -hmm. he had the highlight games. He, he rained down buckets. You can think back to the Georgetown and some other of his big moments last year, but defensively what he contributed, just being able to guard anyone, whether it's the best guy who's a five foot 10 guard or a bigger man who's a six foot eight forward inside, he, you could depend on that guy to lock him down or make his assignment have a bad day at the office. We don't have that sort of presence this time around. And not just that, the defense I don't know. <laughs> we still oh don't understand God. what Ken Palm is saying when this team is, you know, top 50, top 60. Granted, after the Creighton game, Villanova's adjusted. Yeah, they dropped to number 90. But right now, the Cats are looking at the bottom 50 three-point defense in the entire NCAA. That's, mm -hmm. that's not like them. That's not like them at all. It's not like them at all. And to your point, Eugene, you are 100% right. I, I agree with you. There was a... I always felt like there was always someone on this team that you could expect to step up defensively, and and this one has nobody, nobody. I, Colin's not that great defensively. Caleb Daniels is kind of just floating around sometimes. I'd say 
out of the starting lineup, maybe Justin Moore's the like one guy I kind of trust the most defensively. But even then, it's like, eh. Like I would like Sl- I like Slater defensively, but he doesn't do enough offensively to kind of warrant the playing time. Although he did kind of have an okay offensive game in garbage time at the end here. But like, how many times like were guys inside just getting whatever they wanted? Like Clark Bishop had like a career game. He w- he was untouched down low. Everything was an alley oop. Like there was no backdoor defense. There was no inside presence on defense. There was no uh, perimeter defense whatsoever. Every no. three pointer that Creighton took was a wide open shot, wide open. And if it, and if anyone was in the vicinity, hand down, man down. Like there was not even a contest on any shot outside of maybe like two or three that I can think off the top of my head. But it's it seemed like every single one they were taking was wide open in 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 their wheelhouse. Like Marcus and no one also another thing that aggravated me too. And I'm sure this has been a problem. I just never was that privy to it until you play a good team like Grayton. Will someone step up and stop the ball on transition? They're all like excited. They're excited. They scored. And it's great. You score. But then they go back and like Zagorowski's like already at the three point line and no one has a man yet. And I'm just like, guys, pick up your guy. Or if Zagorowski on a, on a missed shot brings it up, He's he's getting to the free throw line with like untouched without without anyone like, getting within five feet of him, and then it frees up everything. He can drive in. There was a couple of those times where he just took the ball himself into the lane and got an easy layup, or a couple of times he would just swing it out for for an assist for a three in the corner wide open. It was just befuddling. I, I never seen it that bad, and it wasn't like so much they were getting beaten off switches. It was just lapses of of the system. It was awful. It was like almost like they didn't expect that Creighton would be shooting threes. Like, I, I, I don't know what it was. Yeah, no matter what happened on Saturday, it just felt like Villanova was just one or two steps behind Creighton whenever they're on defense, whether it was struggling to stop the ball or fast break opportunities to that extra pass that just completely threw Villanova's defense out of sync to that open Creighton shooter who would inevitably, most of the times, punish Villanova. Just a rough game overall. I mean, you look at Villanova's 96-64 win against Marquette, the entire starting five hit double figures. JRE leading the way with 27 points, five of five from deep. You're starting to think like, wow, is this where he starts to turn the corner? Is this the real Villanova right here? Then they go into Creighton, not exactly the best. They were trailing pretty much the entirety of the game. Granted, the first half was a lot closer then the second, and that was due to Villanova capitalizing on some second-chance opportunities and creating some shots for itself off offensive rebounds. But we got an 86-70 to 70 final score. The Blue Jays, led by Marcus Zagorowski, who you said, Chris, was pretty much tormenting Nova, especially in the first dominant. half. Dominant. Yeah, dominant. He finished with 25 points, 10 of 18 on the floor. And then when he started quiet down in the second half, that's when Mitch Ballack came in. And of course he did. Of course, yeah. this is the guy we were like, oh. Oh, yeah. Down here. <laughs> yeah, down here. Well. He, he's not shooting as well as he has over the last two years. He's not scoring as much. But of course, what does he do? He goes out and hits five of six from deep in the second half and finishes with <laughs> 17 of his 20 points <laughs> over the last 15 or so minutes. Because, was, yeah, of course. So predictable. It's your typical Creighton Villanova game <laughs> nonsense. And I guess, in fairness, I guess we really, really haven't had a type of racky type game in a little bit. But my God, dude, the dude was pulling up from like just inside half court. Yeah. And yeah. and to be fair to the Villanova three point defense that I just ripped apart, 
like what like there's nothing you can do about that and i understand that like if he, the dude's just gonna pull up from that range like there's nothing you can do i i get it i get it but i don't know maybe just try guarding a little bit to kind of prevent it from happening next time. Just, just saying. But now that concerns me about the next game. Because remember what happened with the Raggy thing? They adjusted the Raggy, but then Doug McDermott had like one of the best <laughs> games of his career. So it's like, what? what's next? Zagorowski's going to go like 10 of 10 from three. Just watch. Yeah, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because this was probably the first time Crane made me so sad since that 2014 Doug McDermott, Ethan Raggy teams. And granted, those two games, you know, you want to talk about abysmal those 2014 mm. games were probably the definition of that soul sucking, just complete, utter shock and disappointment. Saturday, yeah, Creighton's beaten us before since 2014, but Saturday just felt I felt that same type of dread and the same type of sadness as I did in 2014. Even though the margin of victory by Creighton wasn't as big as it was back then, just because the threes were they were just raining them down. Even yeah. inside Christian Bishop, who was smaller than JRE, I thought JRE would be able to dominate that matchup. But you had Bishop go off for a double double, 16 points, 10 boards. And then even Damian Jefferson chipping in another double double yeah. with 10 points, 10 boards. It was pick your pick, pick your poison. I was like, oh, you want to guard the three? We'll go inside. Oh, you want to guard inside? Okay, we'll just pass it to an open man. Right. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Bishop and Jefferson had their days inside. Zagorowski and Balak were great from the perimeter. And then there was the you know, kind of do it all guy, both perimeter and inside Denzel Mahoney. And he probably had the worst game of the, of the bunch, but he got Creighton off to a good start in the first half. So, I mean, it's not first half, second half, sorry, but it's just like, you, there was no way you could stop him. You wanted to stop him outside. No, you want to stop him inside. No. And even if you, they tried, they couldn't even do that correctly. Like, I don't even know, like one of the players on Creighton's like bench, like they, they contributed I think it was eight points total. Yeah, eight, looking at the box, eight points total. And, like, they really weren't that much of a factor. Like, Kalkbrenner kind of provided a problem inside, but he only played 10 minutes. But he, he looked okay, like, in, in limited action. And it was just like – it didn't matter who they were throwing out there. So, it, it was just very, very disappointing. You would expect a little bit better from this team. And, look, I get everyone has a bad game once in a while. But, like, this – like you said, Eugene, this felt like 2014 where it was helpless – like no matter yeah, what Creighton did, bad, but yeah, it was pretty bad. It, no matter what Creighton did, they were going to succeed at it, and there was nothing Villanova could do to stop it. The only hope was that you could outscore them, in you know the run and gun type thing. But we know that's not Villanova's play, so they just played into their hand, and that was the end of it. Speaking to the run and guns struggles, I mean, you can't do that when two top three, top four players are shooting for a combined six of twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Colin Gillespie only had eight points. Jeremiah Robinson Earl had eight points. Not an efficient shooting night for either of them. Justin Moore pretty much led Nova in scoring with 21 points. He hit some tough shots. Probably not the best shot selection, but at this point, you'll take whatever you can get, and he was the only one making them. Right. And then Jermaine Samuels had a nice start in the first half, 10 points, helped Nova stay in it, and then all of a sudden, I felt like he wasn't getting the ball anymore. What was up with that? He had 16 points and six boards. And then off the bench, Brandon Slater, quiet game, but he did pretty. He did a pretty good job offensively. He had 11 points and four boards, and we know how he is. He's usually better on the defensive end as well. Yeah, the Slater, like I said before, he was all right. And I mean, granted, more than half his points came in when basically the game was all but over. But I mean, like I said, the alternative is he doesn't do that. So I guess it was a little bit encouraging. But yeah, the, 
the starting five, just like you said, Justin Moore was good, but his shot selection was uh, limited. <laughs> a lot of brain scratchers just inside the three-point line. Again, I, I think I've been saying that pretty much every game. And, like, look, I can't get mad at him because he's hitting them. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know, when those st- shots don't start to fall, it's, it's going to get a little frustrating. Um, Jermaine not getting the ball after, like, the first five minutes. Eugene, it was probably the biggest thing for me offensively. I mean, I, I don't know why you just didn't feed him. He was actually getting to the basket. And, you know, maybe his three-point reign is going to uh, eventually dry up. But he was still hitting him. Like, you couldn't use him. Like, why are we going to Colin inside the post again and having him back down Damian Jefferson and Clark Bishop? Or Clark Bishop, wow. Christian Bishop for the millionth time. Can we try something different? Oh, Jerry's uh, posting up and popping a mid-range jumper that hasn't fallen since after COVID. I don't like that. Like, we couldn't get a little bit more creative. I, I just wasn't the biggest fan. And to be, and I, not the only reason why, but one of the reasons why Villanova was so close to Creighton in the first half, even though Creighton was kind of controlling it, was the offensive rebounding was huge in the first half. Huge. Jermaine was flying all over the place. Colin got a couple. Uh, so I was just like, all right, you know, maybe we can, at the end of the first half, it was like, oh, wow, Creighton's shooting like 75% from three. You know, Villanova can definitely come back in this. They're only down six. Uh, you know, Creighton's threes are going to dry up and it's going to be, it's going to be fine. It's just like the Georgetown game all over again from earlier in January. But no, that didn't happen because guess what? Those offensive rebounds were, they were, they were like long rebounds and I kind of want to put them in the lucky department. Obviously it takes talent to kind of track the ball down and whatnot. And that's what Jermaine was doing, but there were a lot of long rebounds on missed shots and they were converting early, but then there was that one possession at the believe at the end of the first half or, or it was the start of the second half where they got four offensive rebounds in the same possession and they didn't, they didn't hit one shot. Not one. Like you got to convert on that. And then after that, it was the game was pretty much set and done. I, I just it, it, and then once the offensive rebounding shriveled up in the second half, that was it. The the offense just wasn't good enough to sustain itself. Yeah, once Creighton went on that second half run where I believe it was like eight or ten or run to push it into double figures around fifteen or so, that was when you knew it was the Scott Graham danger zone. That was uh that yeah. was gonna be a tough one to climb out of. Yeah, it was it was bad. Creighton, they really, they put away Villanova before they could even make a run. And even on the broadcast, they're like, oh, if you don't expect Villanova to make another run, you're foolish. And I'm like, well, really, though? Like, you said that against St. John's. It was a different broadcast team, but they said that against St. John's, and that run never really came. I know Virginia Tech, they had come back from a deficit, tied it up, went to overtime, and ended up losing. But the St. John's and Creighton game, it doesn't seem like they're making runs anymore. It kind of seems like the losses are kind of snowballing out of control, especially late in the game. They're not really fighting back. And I'm not saying that they don't have the capability to do that, but it's just a little concerning that like once they fall down, like, you know, it's, it's over. Like that, we're not used to seeing that. And a, a team I equated to, and this is going to go over 99% of people's heads, but like the Packers in like a couple of years ago, whenever they lost, they would lose by like 30. Like, they would just always get their butts kicked to them. Granted, they were few and far between, but their losses were by a significant margin once they went down. This team kind of has that same vibe where it's like, oh, once they start losing in that danger zone, Eugene, it kind of just spirals out of control. Well, this time around, I think it wasn't so much them kind of losing their will to fight. You just look at the St. John's game. St. John's, I mean, 
they just, they just dominated Nova on both ends of the court, especially on the defensive end. I have not seen a team frustrate Villanova like the way the St. John's defense did in a long mm-hmm. time. And then yeah. you look at the Creighton game. I think Creighton just honestly out-executed, outperformed Nova in pretty much every category after halftime, unfortunately. But I think yeah. that's just how it happened. No, you're you're right. I, I don't think I'm not saying that they don't have a they lose their will to fight or whatnot. It just seems that it their mis- mistakes get compounded as the game goes on, and they try to they they still bang their head against the wall, and it's just they're not executing. And then, but you know, when they're not executing, they're not forcing the other team to not execute as well. Like the other team just executes just as well, if not better, as the game goes on. Once they fall behind, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Their ability to catch up doesn't seem like it's there. Now, obviously, it's only two losses, but in in conference play that have been blowouts. But I don't know. I let's just say, like in a couple of weeks, like or maybe it could be the next game against UConn. Like, what if they fall behind, like, like by eight, nine, ten? Are they gonna? Is it gonna spiral? Is UConn gonna continue to do what they do well, well, or is Villanova gonna try and you know change something up? I, I, I guess it's more of an unwillingness to adjust. Is kind of what I'm hinting at. Yeah, it, it worked out against that first game against Georgetown, December 11, when Nova was down big, but then also the, the Providence game with the Sun Delay, where Nova kind of turned it on in the second half. I was kind of hoping it would happen the same on Saturday, but there's a moment in the game where you kind of think, all right, I don't think it's going to come this time around. Right. No, you're right. It's, <sighs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, like, we do this every year. <laughs> One or two losses sends us all into like an extension. Well, that, that's the other issue too. It's because it's like whatever. Yeah, we've seen this happen before, but not at the defensive numbers that they're showing right now. That's that's like the the one red flag to me during this moment. Not enough to hit the panic button, but there is definitely cause for concern. Right there, there certainly is. When you're 90th in the country <laughs> and adjusted defense, according to Ken Palm, it's uh, not a good look. Especially when your program is, you know, always kind of produced top fifty defenses in the past few years. Yeah, exactly. But even the the ninety ranking, it's like how how good is that when you're a bottom fifty three point defense in the country? That's that's alarming. Right. Especially we know that Villanova obviously prides itself on its three point shooting and shoot them up, sleep in the streets. They slept a little bit on Saturday, but as much as they love their threes, Jay Wright preaches and rewards defensive execution and hustle way more and unfortunately so far it hasn't been that great and i think creighton exposed something in a similar way that st john's did although st john's was just suffocating the whole time like it was like come on bro. it was like right posh alexander chill bro like chill, come on yeah. just let us cross midcourt first and then you can you know you can do what you need to do <laughs> yeah i i don't know it, it's isn't what would you say they like exposed the most though? Was, is it just so much the, just like the rotating on the perimeter? Was it the fact that they couldn't stop? Like what, in your opinion, do you, would you want to change about the defense? Well, that's, that's the thing. We don't have that one man who can, we can count on to be that lockdown threat or that guy who, you know, can take the top assignment and give him hell. You know, so maybe sometimes it is Jermaine Samuels. Maybe it is, Prince Slater, but like you said, Chris Slater doesn't really provide the offensive punch to justify right. the the bigger minutes load. The rotations on D seem a little off. I mean, they were just a step behind on Saturday and everything. Mm-hmm. 
So that's an issue. But then the other issue, too, is as talented and as great JRE is, we need that front court depth. Eric Dixon, he didn't play for whatever reason on Saturday. And JRE's great. He's a great rebounder. He's a solid scorer when he's on. But he, he's not exactly a rim protector like Ochefu was. Or to a degree, Spellman, when he started, mm-hmm. he obviously got better at it as the season went on, as we saw against West Virginia when he had those crazy blocks. Right. So – Right now, those are kind of the two glaring weaknesses right now. Just the three-point D and rotations or close downs, whatever you may ha- whatever you want to call it. And then just the fact that we don't have that last line of defense that you can rely on to just boom. <laughs> just take yeah. it out. Yeah, the inside lack of inside presence has definitely been glaring. Very much so. I forget what what was it? Two weeks ago? Three yeah, it was two weeks ago where Georgetown just had everything inside to their will. Pewtis Wahab could have, like I said, like that had a field day down there. I mean, even Theo John, like, like he's not all that great offensively. Like he was still, you know, doing what he wanted. And I'm like, uh oh. And but then like Creighton, you go against Creighton, you're like, oh well, you know, they're more of a three point shooting team. But then Bishop and Jefferson, they they did whatever they want. And then when you're not covering the perimeter as well as you're used to, then you're you're double screwed. Yeah, it's <laughs> gonna be a long day. You're, you can't if you can't cover threes against a good three point shooting team, and you can't cover the inside, then what are you going to do? Like, what is you're just basically floating around hoping they miss, just hoping they all have a bad day, and that's not what happened. Clearly, no, I agree, I agree, and it's funny because I remember how last week we were like, oh, expect a game to show up early next week because they have this week long gap. After Saturday, honestly, I. I don't think there's going to be yeah, a game no. anymore. I think it's no, time no, no, to no, just no, go no. back to the drawing board. Yeah, this is going to be a long week of practice, I feel like. <laughs> feel bad for whoever is going to be running and participating in that. Eugene, like you said, I, I back to the drawing board. Like I actually legitimately hope that you know there is a self-scout of some sort and they're able to identify any weaknesses and issues that hopefully they can work and improve upon. I'm not, Like you said, I don't think there's going to be a magical fix overnight. But I don't want, you know, I don't want to be seeing the three-point defense that we've been seeing. So hopefully this week of practice, they can figure it out. Maybe, you know, after the COVID thing and playing all these games in a short while, maybe it'll help a little bit with the rest and all. But you got to you gotta figure it out. And especially the better better players on this team with Colin and Jerry kind of having lackluster past few games. And I know, I know the Marquette – I'm throwing the Marquette game out the window. Everybody had a good game. Everyone had a great game in that. But, you know, in a big-time game like this, you needed your big guys to step up. And outside of Justin Moore in the first five minutes of the game with Jermaine Samuels, no one did. Yeah, and also, Cincinnati hit the 13-game postseason requirement. There's no real pressure to schedule games anymore. I would have liked to see one originally, but after Saturday, I don't think rest and practice was a bad idea. No, it's not. It's not. And despite all our complaining or mine anyway. Villanova's 8-2 in the conference, and next best is Creighton at 12-4. So if we're going off win percentage, still, still right crazy. there. Yeah, still sitting still, good. It, that's the thing with this college basketball season in, in general, and maybe more so this year. It's you just kind of just got to roll with it. It is what it is. It's February. We'll see how we stand in March. Next up for the Cats is a game against UConn on Saturday, but because it isn't until Saturday, we're going to save that for Thursday. Chris, I 
before we just take a quick look at the polls, I just want to ask you, now that we've gone through this and we've talked about the Creighton game, right now, if everything holds, there are five games left on Villanova's schedule, and that's the UConn game this Saturday, rematch against St. John's, a road trip to Butler, rematch at home with Creighton, and then ending things on the road at Providence. Of those five games, what is Villanova's record? I think they, they'll win the Saturday one against UConn. I think they'll get their revenge against St. John's. I think they I think they lose one of them against Butler or Providence, and then they'll be Creighton. I have them going three and two. They lose the road games. You you think they lose both those road games? I just don't like Hinkle Fieldhouse. I'm sticking with you know my original prediction from preseason. Um, Hinkle Fieldhouse, which is where they beat Creighton, and Providence is never an easy game. And I and I know Nova was able to pull away big time in the second half against Providence, but something tells me at the dunk, it's not going to be an easy one. But on the bright side, they do get the revenge against St. John's at Creighton. Yeah, I guess out of those five games, I'm actually probably most excited about like. Like in terms of like putting a group of five games together, I am actually really excited about this because you got the UConn game for the storyline. They haven't played UConn in the Big East yet, first time in forever. Uh, you get you can get your revenge against St. John's at Hinkle. Obviously, that's always a fun one, even though sometimes Villanova loses. So I guess it's not that fun. But then you get the re- hopefully revenge game against Creighton, and then at Providence at the dunk, like you said, it's always a problem. So out of like it, it just fits everything very well. So you get like two revenge games or two tough road tests, and then you get the UConn one. So like, I, I think that's kind of a nice little mix. Yeah, exactly. According to Ken Palm though, he thinks Nova wins the next five. So, Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And what did I say? Four and one. Did I really, did I say yeah, they'd said, be crazy? Yeah, you said four and one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You said no, I think, I think they go through it too. I want to switch it up. Okay. I, All right. I think, I, I do think they lose one of those Butler Providence ones, but who knows, man, those St. John's and Creighton, Scary. Well, yeah, scary, depending on how the first one went. But I I would hope that we don't have a repeat. But I also remember in 2014, after the whole Ethan Raggy bombs game, just thinking, oh, there's no way that happens again. And then it happened again. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And that's why I'm I'm most terrified. So we'll see. But, hey, they go out and beat UConn, and they go out and beat St. John's, and then we're all feeling great again. So, yeah, we'll see. Just looking at the polls, the top four is still the same. Gonzaga, Baylor, still your top dogs at one and two. Michigan and Ohio State hold at three and four. Illinois slides into the top five, replacing Nova. And the Wildcats have dropped to number 10. Creighton moves up to number 14. Texas, who Nova beat earlier in the year, moves up to 12. Anything else stand out to you, Chris? Well, our worst fears have been confirmed, Eugene. (laughs) Alabama is now ahead of Illinois. I'm sure Javon Quinterly took a picture of this week's polls and framed it somewhere, either in his locker or his room. I'm sure he has, and <laughs> for good reason. But, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Alabama's at eight. Oklahoma, surprisingly, is at nine. I'm pretty sure I quipped a few weeks ago that I'm like, wow, Oklahoma is not good, and now they're number nine, so that's very predictable. Uh, Virginia's seven. Houston's still hovering at six. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, Kansas is back. Yeah, they, like, yeah, they returned to the top 25 with seven losses. Oh, let's see. Who did they beat this week? Was it Mount Holyoke or something? I don't know. <laughs> Some random D3 school, time to put them back in. Oh, now they beat all Iowa State both times. Eh, yeah, I guess that's worth it. 
Oh, they also beat Oklahoma State. All right, fine. That's that's see, finally. <laughs> see, that makes sense. Yeah, Loyola Chicago, so represented. Bringing back Sister Jean. They are. Yeah, they lost to Drake too. I'm surprised they didn't fall out. Glad to see they're uh, still hanging around though. Yeah, Alabama though. I, this has to be their highest basketball ranking, I would assume. There's no way. Yeah, it's got to be. Number or at eight. least at least in the past least, five yeah. years or so. Yeah. I mean, they they had when they had Sexton, they were all right. I don't know if they flirted with the top ten though. No, had, no, no, no. I don't think they did. Yeah, unfortunately, no other Big East teams outside of Nova and Creighton in the top twenty-five. Xavier's receiving votes, though, despite the loss to UConn this weekend. Yeah, just a couple, though. Only four. Outside of that, that's that's about it. That's about it. All right, Chris, at that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag and answer the questions that you, the listeners, have for us. As always, you can tweet your questions to us at SONNPod, and we'll discuss it on the show. First one is from Donna. She says, speedy pace of play beat us again. St. John's and Creighton games have laid out a blueprint for future Nova opponents. This late in the season, should Nova be trying to up its pace of play? Chris, you were worried about a blueprint. Mm. Donna seems to also agree with you that the blueprint has been laid. How concerned are you? Should Nova start to turn up the tempo a notch? See, I I don't know. Like I, I'd say no because you'd be playing into the hands of said opponent that wants you to run and gun because we all know Nova probably works best in the half court in a slower tempo offense. But I mean, if you want to try it, I, I wouldn't be against it, but it, we're in February. It's like, do we really have the opportunities to try that? Like, are you going to go out against UConn and just start doing like seven seconds or less? It's, it's a tough, it's a tough call. I I'd say, no, I think they just kind of have to execute better. They just got to do what they're doing. There's a reason why they won 13 to 16 already. Do what you're good at doing and just fix up the defense. I know that's a lot simpler in theory than it is in execution, but the offense really to me isn't that so much the problem. It's the defense. And so, yeah, offensively, I don't think an increase of pace would really fix anything. What do you think? Yeah, I think it really just is execution. We didn't, I don't think we touched upon it. But uh, I'm just remembering, weren't there like a ton of bunnies that we missed in the first half? Oh, yeah. God, I forgot about that, too. <laughs> it was like if they made a good chunk of those, I think the score would have been a lot different in half. But unfortunately, they didn't. In terms of pace of play, we've been kind of wishing and seeing with all this athleticism, with all this guards, you know, let's see, Jay, let the dogs run free. Let's push the pace of play. Unfortunately, though, as I've kind of been realizing and digesting everything not only is it one chris like you mentioned it's not really in their playbook or it's not really something they do but even just over the last decade nova's historically operated at a slower tempo the only time that they didn't or deviated from that and it wasn't even by much was in 2018 for example their adjusted tempo in 2018 when they won the championship and had boatloads of nba Talent, they were just ranked 150th in adjusted tempo. This year, they're ranked 332nd. And that's typically where Nova is, towards the bottom of the co- towards the bottom of college basketball because they, you know, mm-hmm. slow and steady wins the race. Right. So I think Nova just has to play its style. It just has to execute better. I don't think playing into other teams' hands, like a Creighton and St. John's, who like the chaos, who like this, 
beat it up, who like the running gun is going to help Nova too much. No, it's not. Yeah, it comes down to execution. And like you said, with those missed layups in the beginning of that game, I forgot. That was another reason why I thought that they actually had a chance to come back because it was like, oh, you're only down six. Clayton's hit everything. You've missed everything in, in creation <laughs> underneath the basket. You're getting all these offensive rebounds. You have a shot. And then yeah, it never happened. But yeah, Eugene, it's, it, it comes down to execution offensively and defensively. They seem to be good at what they're doing currently for the Creighton game tempo-wise. So I just – we'll see. Let's see how it plays out the next couple games. And if it's still a problem, then, you know what, maybe time to switch it up. But I severely doubt that will ever be the case. Yeah, maybe against, like, a team like Hartford or something like right. that. Right. <laughs> yeah, have had it. Right. But with five Big East games remaining, I think it's a little too late for that. Next question is from Moishi Klatsberg. How much further do we fall? I would say – if Nova does end up losing a couple more, I don't think they'll drop any further than 18 in terms of the rankings. Yeah, it seems to be a good spot to put them. I mean, you figure beat UConn, beat St. John's, and then if you do end up losing like Butler, Creighton back-to-back, I don't really see them dropping out at all. So, yeah, I think worst-case scenario is like 20, 21, 22 in that area. Yeah. I, I do think Nova will lose again from now until the end of the season, but I don't think they should fall out, fall out. Like, there's no way. Yeah, no, they won't fall out. And for turn, tournament implications, and we all saw the top 16, like maybe they have, they'll fall out of that if they were to lose that Butler-Creighton combo game. But other than that, you know, they won't. I don't think they'll fall out completely or even be any, in any discussion of a bubble thing. Next one is from Trey Hoffner. How is Nova going to be able to fix their suspect three-point defense? Chris, any ideas? I got none. This is why they don't pay me the big bucks, Eugene. <laughs> this, is why, this is why we're just guys who yell into microphones. Right, exactly. I think our point, opinions matter. Yeah, this is this is why uh, Jay has a coaching staff. This is why he's a, a very good coach. He, I'm sure he will figure it out. I, I Honestly, I wish I could like give some sort of opinion on it. I, I don't know what you do. I honestly don't know what you do. Is, is it just is it just execution? I'd like to think it is, but you're what? Would you say bottom thirty? Bottom fifty. Bottom fifty. Bottom fifty. Do you just expect everybody to just finally wake up one day and they're like, oh yeah, now I know how to play defense and that's it? What do you have any ideas? How to fix it? Uh, this is pretty tough because, like I mentioned, we don't really have the greatest defenders. I would say in terms mm-hmm. of, or at least compared to the last ten years. Just looking at the Creighton game, I felt like Creighton beat us at Villanova's own game where they got the dribble penetration. Once you beat that first guy off, then you got to – then we're struggling, we're scrambling all over the place and help D or whatever the case may be. And then Creighton is just picking apart the Nova D and just passing to the open man and then cashing in. I wish we had better one-on-one defenders, but we just, we just don't. We just don't have it. I, and I think that's kind of one of the bigger issues here. We don't have those good one-on-one perimeter defenders or, you know, someone who can just clamp down a guy. Right. I I agree with you. And I think the interior defense is just so bad this year too that it leaves a lot open on the perimeter. It's just the, the kick out. It's just, it's just always there. So they're, they're going to get wide open shots. And obviously that those are higher percentage than contested ones. So, like, I do believe there is an issue on the perimeter, but 
the issue inside, I think, is compounding the pr- problems on the perimeter as well, and vice versa too. I think the fact that you know we don't have a lockdown defender one on one on the perimeter just leaves everything open inside. And when Jerry and Jermaine Samuels are last line of defense, not the best. Exactly, there is no rim stopper like you said earlier. Yeah, and obviously, as we know, Jay will sometimes deploy his own. But this team isn't his own team, and sometimes you no. can tell. <laughs> you can tell. No, no, no. And like maybe you can start throwing stuff at the wall. Like I'm just throwing it out there. Like does Dixon even get involved? Like do you even try and throw him out there and like just hope it's better? It can't get worse. Like interior wise. Like does Antoine come in and just try and do something perimeter wise defensively, or do you just run the risk of having Slater out there the whole time and? cost yourself on the offensive end like I, I don't know I, I I don't know how you fix it yeah because you you even have guys getting lost off the ball opponents are freeing themselves and then they you know their teammates are able to find them and then they punish Nova it just seems like Nova's just a step behind and the other thing too and we do have to put in perspective is Creighton no matter what we say since they got into this league They've been consistently one of the better offenses around. Not so, you know, defense is kind of new to them. Then they just started getting better at that over the last couple of years. But I do think that Greg McDermott is one of the better offensive minds. And, you know, this just could be, you know, credit to him, credit to his coaching in exposing Nova's defense. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. The problem, though, is that, like, if Creighton's doing this to you, God knows what's going to happen when you go up against if. God willingly, like you go up up against a Gonzaga or a Baylor or an Iowa, even. Look, we're just gonna hope that Gonzaga <laughs> gets a little too big on itself from playing in the West Coast Community College League. <laughs> oh, boy. Or or the committee does another solid and is like, oh, you think you're great? All right, here's your field, and it's like completely rigged against them. Right, just stack the region. Yeah, yeah it's uh. That's why, that's why they play the games. I guess that's why we'll figure it out when that bracket gets released. But until then, we'll just yeah. keep on worrying. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, exactly. Like this defense definitely has its problems, but I don't think the fix will be as easy as something like I, I don't think it can Rotate be done overnight. It. Yeah, it's like yeah, we have guys not. closing out late, guys scrambling around off the ball. It's just not pretty. It was not pretty. No. It's one thing when, you know, you have the occasional misassignment, but if you're what feels like always two steps behind, never a good time. Never a good time. No. Next one is from John Paul May. Was the inability to contain Bishop on his screen and slip to the rim on the players, on the coaches, or due to the lack of big man on the current roster? Uh, I'm going to go D, all of the above. Yeah, I was going to say the same too. I mean, you can scheme guys to play defensively all you want, but if they don't execute – and they don't, and they're just not tall enough <laughs> to swat away a, a lob pass. It's just you can't do it. It's impossible. Then it's not on the coaches. So it's on everybody. Yeah, like I don't think the game planning was the best. Just as I don't think the game planning was the best against St. John's. But on the other hand, you do, like you said, Chris, need the players to execute. Wasn't much execution going on on the defensive end. Guys were losing men, this and that, and also, as we've mentioned already on the show. Don't have that rim protector. Just don't. Like, no. I like JRE, but he's not that enforcer like Ochefu or Spellman was down the line. Right. Or I even guess. like 
Daryl Reynolds. Like Daryl Reynolds, you knew he was there to be a bruiser. Like that, like that right, guy had exactly. one job: get you rebounds and just stop anybody. And he did a great, did a great job at it. Even if he wasn't, you know, scoring so much, scoring, yeah. yeah, on the offensive side. Like even if, like, like even if, like Omari had like a bad game offensively, at least you know defensively he was going to at least try and be there, you know, to stop anything getting inside and prevent it. Chef wasn't as big of a focal point on the offense as Omari was, but. You know, if he wasn't going offensively, he was still there to protect the rim. If Jerry's not going going offensively, then it's kind of like, you know, what is he what is he doing? Yeah, it's like he's a good rebounder, and I think he's a good all-around big man, but rim protection is definitely one of his right. deficits. Right, yeah. I mean, look, I, I understand he's good, but the, I'm saying the rim protecting stuff. Not yeah. Every, not yeah, every, no, every, yeah, every, again, every. yeah. It's like we don't, we don't have – that where we can funnel the entire offense to go to this one guy who, you know, is going to shut you down. <laughs> right. Right. Next set of questions is from Dan Gibson. Is Antoine going to see increased playing time? I was a little surprised to see him play. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Given the way that Jay had talked about his situation to see him go out, even though it was only for a couple minutes against Creighton was a little surprising. Yeah, it was. It was probably the one th- exciting thing about the second half you got to see a little bit of burn from him he didn't hit a shot but at least he was out there yeah he didn't hit a shot kind of a bummer but he was out there and that kind of leads into his next question would you increase the playing time of patterson and antoine patterson is an interesting one because he could add some front court depth which we see that we desperately need i still don't know what was going on with dixon on saturday what was up with that but yeah, we do need some front court depth. DCR isn't coming back anytime soon. I mean, he's out indefinitely. Whenever indefinitely is the answer for your injury, that's never a good sign. Patterson, we know that he's the highly touted recruit, but the guy's only been around for a couple of weeks, and I highly doubt he's caught up to speed with anything. And Brian Antoine, according to Jay, he's still the ninth man. So that's not good. Yeah, I – to the question, do you increase their playing time? Like I said, like maybe throwing st- someone out there differently, like would change something. Maybe just uh, hope, but I doubt it, and I I don't think I would give them much much leeway. Like Patterson, like you said, Eugene, like throwing Patterson out there actually might do the team worse defensively because I feel like he's probably just not up to snuff on the system yet. And that's not on him. It's just the fact that he yeah. just hasn't been there. <laughs> yeah, he just, he just showed up. He just unpacked his things like a couple weeks ago. Right. He's barely even moved in yet. So I I don't think that would really do much. Now, look, obviously, if you get in a blowout, winning or losing, and you want to trot them out there like they did with Antoine, then fine, be my guest. I don't have any problem with that. But for any consistent playing time, no. But I do want to see Eric Dixon play a little bit more, and that's completely ridiculous that he didn't play at all on saturday yeah i would have liked to see another big body out there but didn't happen i know he probably would have had a hard time too just because we've seen how he guards opponents when he gets taken out of the post not exactly the prettiest but it wouldn't have hurt trying trying. exactly it would have been better than swider and this is kind of a sad one but i don't know if you saw dylan ennis's tweet yesterday but he was like, mm-hmm. oh, with March Madness around the corner and COVID upon us, schools might lose some important guys on the roster at crucial times during the tournament because of protocol. I still got years of eligibility. Who needs my assistance? You know I have a lifetime NCAA pass. Laughing face, mm-hmm. laughing face, laughing face. And Dylan Ennis would help out. He could definitely help out. More guards. Why not? He'll be like Grant Gibbs. 
Oh yeah, the thirty-year-old <laughs> playing in the NCAA. Yeah, I think Brandon Weeding Gibbs like twenty-seven at the time. He, he he was up there. Yeah, yeah, he was at least twenty-six, twenty-seven. Crazy. Yeah, I, I hope he's joking. He is joking. Oh no, he is joking. Yeah. But uh, he would definitely help out. He 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 would. Redemption tour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, redeem himself for the NC State team. Last set of questions are from Jerry Quinn. First one, when did you feel Creighton had our number on Saturday? It's definitely the second half. For me, I would say it was when Creighton went on that run and pushed the lead into double figures. The body language on Nova didn't look great. And also, just with the way that the game was going, you could tell that that was the game changer right there. Yeah, I'd happen to agree with you. Although, Mitch Ballack pulling up from near half court and hitting threes. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's just, that, that, might be, that might be the sign that we're all looking for. <laughs> Yeah, there's also that point in the game where it's like, all right, well, if they're going to make that, might as well just pack it up and, and just go. Right, yeah, there's there's, there's no hope. Although, I mean, there there was. I mean, like I said, at the end of the first half, down six, you were thinking maybe, but after, yeah, Eugene, after that first initial run to start the half, it's like, yeah, that was pretty much it. It was kind of like in 2016 when Chris Jenkins pulled up from the logo because the shot clock was winding down. It was like, oh, well, I have to chuck this up. And then it was just wish. It was like, God, if you're a Miami fan, you looked at them like, yeah, this game's over. <laughs> yep, yep. That was uh, one of the many moments on that run where you were like, all right, maybe maybe we got something here. But we that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, that's a nice trip down nostalgia, yeah. which, which is normally a sign that uh, we're longing for happier times <laughs> because Saturday <laughs> was a rough one. Yes, it was. Next question from Jerry is, do we need to focus on offense or defense to improve over the final regular season games? Chris, we've highlighted it on the show, and I think it's kind of been a theme. And Ken Palm seems to support us, even though I feel like he probably could have dropped the Cats adjusted defense a little bit further. But it's got to be the defense. I mean, the three-point defense, bottom 50, two-point defense is below average. Can't, can't be half yeah, that. Not, it's not the Villanova teams we're used to. No, not at all. It, it has to be defense. And the offense, despite Jerry losing all his uh, shooting touch since COVID, the COVID lockdown and Colin having a bad couple of games here and there, it's still fifth in the country, according to Ken Palm. The offense is still pretty good. Yeah, they only put uh, only put up 70 against Creighton, but they'll, they'll find it eventually. I have to believe they will. Defense, though, it's it's absolutely horrendous. The, the team will go as only far as the defense will take them. And if they're going to put out defensive performances like that, it, it's not going to be good. There were just things like bunnies and things like that, that it was frustrating to see them miss. But you know that probably on a normal day, they would have made those. At least I would I would hope they would. Right. And, or just, you know, it'll all, yeah, it'll just all even out at one, at one point in, the, in time. Like some of the, mid-range shots from JRE will start falling. Those layups, like you said, are going to start falling. And, you know, instead of 70 points, you're putting up 80. But if you're giving up 80 nothing a game, it's that's a problem. Yeah, and in just a week and a half's time, Villanova's adjusted defense ranking dropped from 38th to 90. Not a good sign. Not a good no. sign. No, not at all. Shout-outs to Esteban Diamore for pointing that one out because I wasn't 100% sure what the ranking was before. I knew it was probably around the 40-ish mark, but it was 38. Right. Yeah, every time we kept checking Kempom, it was just slowly dropping. It, it wasn't, like, egregious, 
like an egregious drop, but now it's like, oh yeah, that, that is a problem. Last question from Jerry is, do you know anyone who has gotten the vaccine? Full vaccination? Yes, I do know one person. I, I got both parts? Yes. Wow. My uh, my brother did got both, but it's for his uh, job, so he needed to get it. Oh, As yeah. Public worker. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. What about you? Yeah, I know some teachers who've gotten it. Um, a couple of family members of mine who are like nurses, so they're, you know, that was kind of like a given. My parents are signed up to get the vaccine next month, I believe, I want to say. At least I think that's what they told me when I spoke to them yesterday. But, uh, yeah, a lot. You, you know, now that I think about it, probably a lot more than I thought. I think we're looking at, like, close to two dozen people that I know who've got the vaccine. Not both parts, though, but they're going to right. get the first part, at least. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, if we're including just the first part, I, I know a few more, but fully vaccinated, just one person. Actually, no, two people I know, actually, now that I think about it. Two fully vaccinated people. That's it. But better than none. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, uh, Chris, I think we're kind of lower on the totem pole. Although I, I did oh, yeah. hear in Arizona, media is kind of considered 1B essential. So maybe that Ooh. changes in New York. But... uh. Yeah, in Arizona, media is under one B. Sounds pretty wow. important. That's that's pretty crazy. Should move to Arizona just to get the vaccine and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if only were that easy, right? I, I've read yeah. these crazy stories how in like other states, people are like bribing to be able to take like an older person just so they can get vaccinated. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a little much. We should get we should get the the older population and the vulnerable crowd. Let them take it first, and the essential workers, obviously. Right. Yeah, I, I'm content with holding off on getting the vaccine, knowing that people ahead of me were getting it absolutely needed. Like I, I obviously want the vaccine, but you know, I I think I stand a better chance than other the other people in the other groups. Knock on wood. Yeah, I was going to say, we're like, what, 26, 27? We'll, we'll take yeah. our chances. We'll, we'll take yeah. our vitamins, put on our mask, drink our orange juice. Yeah. I'm feeling good. I mean, go go left, uh, drink some protein. You know, feel good. Right. Feel good. Exactly. Exactly. I don't want the damn thing. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm avoiding it at all costs. And God forbid, I do contract it. But, you know, other others who are more at risk deserve it more. And I'm willing to wait in line, so to speak. I'm not in that high risk or at risk population, so I, I can wait my turn. I'm cool with that. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. You can do so at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Megaphone, Podbean. You got many, many options. Please check back and check often at viewhoops.com. We're always pumping out content. Please follow the site on social media at View Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. Like our page on Facebook. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 I'm Chris Danzia. I got nothing. Stay safe, everybody. Nova Nation, the loss on Saturday still kind of hurts. Hopefully it gets better and we can kind of shake it off and prepare for Saturday's game against UConn. In the meantime, we'll catch you back on Thursday. We'll be back at it again. Have a good one.